Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. If you're interested in buying a short-term rental in one of the top vacation markets in America, just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected with an Agent. If you purchase a home with the shop, you'll have access to all of our client-only benefits, such as training on how to manage your short-term rental. So we'll teach you everything you need to know from how to set up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to how to use the property management software that you'll need to streamline your business, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners, handy people, etc. We've taught thousands of people just like you how to buy and manage their vacation homes from anywhere in the world. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent to get started. I do have to mention that we're brokered by EXP or else I get in trouble. We'll see you guys over there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Short Term Show. We've got a really cool guest today. Uh, we do a lot of focusing on regional drivable vacation destinations on this show uh, because of ease of investment, easiest way to get from point A to point B. But today we're going to flip that script a little bit. We're going to talk about investing in some kind of crazy places. So I've got Kelly Cronin. She's the founder of Cronin's Castles, and she owns some places that are, I'm jealous of the locations, but it just seems like a beast to own in these places. So she's going to kind of unwrap that for us. So how's it going, Kelly? It's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, start from the beginning. Like, how'd you get into real estate? And uh, then we'll get into your portfolio. So I think that, uh, you know, I've spent 30 years in veterinary medicine. And unfortunately, in veterinary medicine, there's just not a lot of money to be made. You know, most of my career, I made 20 to 30 or 10 to $20 an hour. Oh, really? Um, uh, yeah, as a licensed and certified and, and specialty technician. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely been one of those situations where I've always been very, very frugal, and that's a bit of a superpower. And uh, I've, I've always done, uh, you know, some types of thinking outside the box to make sure that I could save a lot of that, um, just to make sure that I could retire. And I think that um, Having done that has really, you know, kind of created a little bit of a nest egg for me. And what I'll tell you is that I fell into real estate investing like a lot of people do. I had a house in New Mexico that, um, you know, talking about off-grid, this was the most off-grid house you can think of off in a uh, reservation on what, something called the land lease um, from, from a Pueblo in, in New Mexico. And we just couldn't get it sold at the time. And so that was really my first influx into real estate. And we rented that out for several years, had a really good renter, um, ended up trying to do a land contract sale to her. That didn't work. Ended up doing a land contract sale to someone else. And that really opened my eyes as to, hey, you might not make a lot of money. You might not have a whole lot in terms of what you can actually invest, but there are interesting ways to, uh, you know, to come about to owning real estate. And there are interesting ways to make your wealth grow in a different way in real estate. And so that was, that was my first soiree into it. And it was just really amazing to have so much of the house paid off just by having a renter there during that time. And 
to be able to get so much more than what our actual mortgage was, um, you know, on this very off-grid uh, land lease house. Um, it wasn't a subdivision, but it was very outside of town and, and just, uh, you know, in a place that was traditionally extremely high home values and extremely hard to get into. So just uh, really opened my eyes to all the things that there could be. Awesome. So let's, I know everybody's like, okay, she said she invests in crazy places. Let's, let's get right into that. They're probably like, I just want to hear that. So tell mm -hmm. us where your uh, portfolio, where, where all do you own? So currently, um, currently we own in Kasilov, Alaska, which is in the Kenai Peninsula. And if you haven't been there, it's one of the most beautiful places on the entire planet. Just the bluest water you've ever seen in your entire lifetime and uh, crazy good fishing and mushing and dog mushing and, you know, amazing skiing and just glaciers to walk on there. You can't find a cooler place on this planet, I swear. Uh, and then we also own in Vieques, Puerto Rico, which is an island off of an island. So Puerto Rico is part of the US and Vieques is an island off of uh, main island, Puerto Rico. And it's uh, 9,000, 9,000 wild horses and 4,000 people out in the middle of the ocean. So just amazing, um, amazing little island. Uh, four species of endangered turtles and tortoises and um, just an incredible place to be. The brightest bio bay in the entire world is out there. Um, yeah, really incredible little island. So we own there as well. And up until last week, we owned in Indianola, Utah, and that actually is an interesting one as well. Very, very off-grid little cabin in Indianola, Utah, which is about an hour from Salt Lake City. Beautiful place nestled in between two mountains. Unfortunately, you know, that is one of the really telltale, like this can be a hard time investing off-grid type of stories. Uh, and then we own 80 acres in Ladysmith, Wisconsin, which will be turned into glamping, vintage trailers, and a treehouse eventually. Okay. So that's a lot of stuff. And there are several different facets of this that I want to hit on, but the first one is owning in Alaska. So that's, what is, what does the travel itinerary look like to get from, you know, any major airport in the U S to that part of Alaska, which is also in the U S I did not mean to imply that Alaska was not before y'all send me a message saying, you don't know your geography. <laughs> uh it is roughly six hours, you know, six to 10 hours, depending on where you're coming from um, on a flight. Usually there's one connection. And then from there, um, it's about three hours uh, of a drive from Anchorage, which you fly into to Kisilov. But it's three hours of the most beautiful drive along the ocean that can be imagined. Okay. So my next question is with it being that difficult to get to, what does the tourism in that area look like? So in the summertime, when the salmon are running, it is impossible to get a place. It is absolutely heart wrenchingly impossible to get a place and you can message the hosts and you'll never hear from them. And it's just, it's craziness and places go for, you know, probably you can you can get a a one room 
off grid, maybe there's a shower cabin for $170 a night in, in Kisilov or in Kenai or in Kalforsky. So it's, it's a really incredible, but very seasonal market. We intend to make it not seasonal with our cabin because of the fact that fall is an absolutely beautiful time to go. And frankly, if you don't care about catching a salmon, or if you don't care about catching, you know, some, some other type of fish that only runs in the summertime, the Northern Lights are amazing. Like the Northern Lights are so incredible. Going up to Hatcher's Pack, Pass and seeing these little tiny pikas, they're, you know, like little um, rabbit looking things that are super cute. If you haven't seen them, go to our- oh, Yeah, I was to about to ask you what that is. <laughs> oh, amazing. They're so cute. Um, Googling or, this. you know, or go hiking on a glacier or learn how to dog mush with our neighbors, or, you know, there's just a million things to do or come in the winter time. If you want to do some of the hella skiing, or you want to do some of the winter hiking or some of the snowshoeing or, um, you know, skating down the river or whatever that might be. Right. So there's, mm-hmm. there's just an opportunity that I don't think a lot of the hosts take on to actually find those folks who don't necessarily just want to come to fish. Okay. And being that remote, so how big is that town? Uh, so they all kind of mesh together because everything is a little bit extended out. So the closest big, big town is called Sodatna. And, um, you know, it, it's big enough to have all the major stores. Okay. And I guess what I'm getting at with how big is the town is what is the labor pool looking like? So, you know, is there one cleaner who handles like everybody or is there actually, you know, so is there a choice? Uh, what does that look like? There's quite a few property management places. There's a, quite a few um, folks who do advertise cleaning. Um, when I did reach out, when we initially got Uh, got the place, you know, I had quite a few different ideas as to who would be doing that. I generally am looking for someone who is more of a caretaker than a cleaner. And that's, that's certainly what I've found in Viacus and what I had in Indianola before we let go. And so with that, I'm not necessarily looking for the same thing as what other people are when they're, you know, when they're trying to find that type of help. So what would you, what would you say is the difference then in price between just a typical cleaner and the type of person that you're looking for? And what extra questions and steps do you take to find a true caretaker rather than just a cleaner? So generally, I explain what I'm really thinking of is, hey, I'm very much away from that house and I'm very much in need of someone who can pick up and help me out for X, Y, Z. I'm always going to make sure that I have, you know, one or two people on that list so that I'm never reliant on a single person. Uh, I always set up the houses to make sure that if I need to give someone access that I've never, you know, had experience with before that I can give them access on a drop of a hat. So, hey, I have a plumber coming or something like that. Like I can, I can work that out. Um, And generally my biggest My biggest thing is that I'm just looking for someone who cares for the property as much as I do. So the questions that I ask are very behavioral. So things like, hey, tell me about a time when you really went out of your way when working with someone who's, you know, whose property you're taking care of. Um, Tell me about a time when you really ran into a problem with that property and how did you solve it? Um, Tell me about your contacts, because a lot of times that's really what I'm looking for is, hey, someone who knows everyone to call 
you know, for example, when I need, when I need a lawn done, you know, my caretakers know exactly who to call for that. Um, and they do a really good job of finding someone if I, they don't already have someone in their Rolodex. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. Okay. So you're just, you just ask a series of questions to kind of determine, okay, what does their Rolodex look like in terms of being able to get the different specific vendors that I might need to come fix things. And then you're looking for someone who truly cares about it and knows, you know, you're not just going in here for two hours during the turns and we really need you to kind of help take care of this place. And I'll say that I've accomplished it pretty well. Things like my, our caretaker messages when, Hey, I would like to spend an extra two hours because I'd like to do this, this, and this. I'd like to organize the supply closet for an extra hour, or I'd like to organize the back, um, the back shed for an extra hour, things like that. And taking that initiative to, to make sure that things are flowing correctly is just a phenomenal thing. And what I'll say about the pricing piece is that I generally price them very similar to everyone else in terms of the cleaning. So I'll actually do a call around for cleaning prices to make sure that I'm in the ballpark for cleaning. Um, and or I'll check Airbnb for area cleaning, you know, in similar size properties. But then I will set out um, a fee structure for additional things. So if you spend an extra hour in the property, this is how much you'll be getting per hour. Okay. So you're paying hourly? Um, generally hourly and or trip charges. So okay. potentially if, if she's taking, you know, clothing to the cleaners or something like that, like that would be something more like a trip charge. Okay. Yeah. So we do a per clean, we pay them the same price per clean and then like a per project. So right now we've got, uh, in our Smokies cabins, they're doing a lot of Christmas trees and, and decorations for the holidays and stuff like that. So that'll just be a separate, um, project charge. So that's, that's cool. Um, all right. Now I want to hear about Alaska's cool and all, but I'm, I am a beach person. So I want to hear, this is the entire reason I had you on. Cause I saw you mention this on a Facebook group. Uh, I want to hear about Vieques. Absolutely. Uh, so a couple of years ago, my daughter and I were finishing up the 50 States and we do something called travel hacking. So we utilize credit cards and opening credit cards in order to travel for free. Again, hacking our life to make sure that we can afford to do things. And, uh, and so we, we bought our $8 tickets to Puerto Rico and we were hanging out on a beach in Puerto Rico and she made friends with a 10 year old and we spent two days with them and they said, gosh, unfortunately we're going to Vieques tomorrow. And so, uh, I said, well, we don't have any hotel plans. You know, we never make hotel reservations beforehand. So I don't know where Vieques is, but if I can get there, we'll come too. It'll be fine. And so we ended up taking the two hour, um, well, hour and 15 minute taxi ride down to a place called Saba, taking the, um, there was a $2 ferry from Saba to Vieques. And so we took the ferry. And the moment we stepped off the ferry and a herd of wild horses trotted in front of us with 
the little, there's a little buckskin done baby at the very back of the herd who just, you know, hung out and was totally interested in my daughter and really being, you know, just nuzzly to her and wonderful. And then we saw a herd of wild chickens run across the road and, you know, just watching the little baby chicks kind of head across the road. We were in love. We were done. And so we went to our vacation rental. We had such a nice time, met some locals who gave us a ride across the island because, of course, we didn't plan enough to have uh, a rental car or anything like that. And we were just charmed by the people and the place and everything around it. And while we were there, we noticed quite a few Savenda signs, which means for sale. Uh, and the, the thought process was, gosh, we could never afford to live here. Well, come to find out, uh, you know, I put it on my list as to, hey, this is someplace that I'd like to eventually buy, looked on Zillow, and we can absolutely afford to live there. And so um, ended up uh, really keeping an eye out for different places. In fact, tried to make an offer on a place that actually um, fell through. And we ended up finding a for sale by owner um, and, or a, a a for sale by a realtor this time, actually, sorry, um, of a, a piece of land that did not have a, a full title, which is normal in, in Vieques. Um, and we were able to talk to him and really work out, you know, what he needed out of the deal. And I was able to buy it half on owner financing. Um, and it just, it's a perfect little deal. We got that place for $73,000 and, um, it's, an 850 square foot roundhouse, absolutely beautiful in the middle of the island, um, about an, a mile and a half from the ocean in either direction. So close to a bunch of the beaches and um, pretty good size yard. And, and we have, you know, a resident iguana in the yard and a resident uh, rooster in the yard named one Eye Willie, Bob the iguana, and uh, a bunch of horses that come visit us every day. And we absolutely love it there. That sounds so amazing. I'm like about to go book a flight right now. So I've actually gone down the the rabbit hole and uh, not the real serious rabbit hole, but just the like playing around on, on Zillow or realtor.com before I go to bed, looking at places in Vegas and um, it's, it's awesome. So now I have some kind of nuts and bolts questions. So buying in Puerto Rico is the actual transaction any different from buying in the continental U.S.? Very. What are those differences? Yep. If you if you decide to buy in Puerto Rico and if you are buying a property without a title, you cannot get financing and you cannot get insurance. If you have a property that is wood built instead of cement built, you cannot get insurance. If you oh, it has uh, to be cement because mm -hmm. okay. of the hurricanes mm -hmm. yeah uh, that I have a question about that later on but yeah go ahead <laughs> and um and there are other things to think about in terms of if you need any kind of financing for a property you do have to do it through a Puerto Rican bank it is very very difficult to have transferable financing um it it does have to go through an attorney. So you do have to have a property attorney that actually does it and it has to be a property attorney that is on Puerto Rico. And, um, and then there is a, a point where you also have to pay in when you purchase the property for sales tax when you sell the property. So you have to go through the Atordad to, to put money 
into a bucket for when you eventually sell that property if you're not on island uh, permanently. So lots of different things. Okay. There's things to think about too, as an investor, if you do spend enough time on Puerto Rico, there are tax advantages. Um, but just similar to Alaska, you do have to spend a significant amount of time in both of those places to get the tax advantages. Okay. Well, before we get to that, so you keep mentioning if it doesn't have clear title or a title or partial title. So what does that mean? And why is that normal there? Like what would a, what would a partial title or no title mean? So uh, so the, the island has a very storied past and I, I don't know that I can do it justice as to, you know, what all happened with it. It was partially military. It was partially, um, you know, partially owned by the government. And so in places like the Iberinkin, which is where our house is, um, and Monte Carmelo, those are uh, to some extent still still partially government owned. And so you you have to apply for a title after 10 years of ownership. Um, and it's it's a matter of uh, you know a legal investment, but it's it's a fairly easy process. It's just it takes a little bit of time. It's completely transferable regardless. You own the house regardless. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit sticky like like a land lease would be um but it's it's uh worth it just because of the fact that a you can get places that are pretty incredible and b you can get the investment out of them regardless and you can definitely still transfer you know the the uptick of the property value still follows normal uptick and things like that Speaking of property value, so what what kind of purchase prices are we looking at here versus the, well, I guess you can't compare it to the entire continental U.S. It would be market by market, but what kind of purchase prices are we looking for like an average place? Well, so that's that a loaded really question. <laughs> yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, there are a lot of depressed properties. Uh, and if you don't mind doing a little bit of a handyman special, you know, it's definitely an interesting place. Actually, on our website, www.cronenscastles.com, there's a list of all of the home buying episodes that involve Vieques, Puerto Rico, that um, are the buying in the Caribbean episodes. And mm -hmm. so it's fun because you can watch some of our neighbors actually purchase their houses and they, they talk a lot about, you know, what this looks like in terms of property values and how much you're going to pay and things like that. What I'd say is that if you're buying a depressed property, it's very similar to buying in the, in the States, you know, you can find them for 60, $70,000. If you're buying, you know, a ready to go beautiful McMansion, you know, you're, you're, you can pay up to $2 million, $5 million. There's plenty of them on Vieques. Um, some of the newer houses are certainly like that. In mainland Puerto Rico, I think that you can find just as wide of a, you know, wide of a patch between the two. You can get a condo for, you know, in the middle hundreds, um, okay. two, three hundred thousand dollars, and uh, and it'll be ready to go. Okay, so let's talk about getting supplies to all these places. So you've got Alaska, you've got Vieques, you've got an off-grid cabin. Where did you say that was? In Utah? That was in Utah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the common denominator here is that how do you get, or my common question about all three of these places are, how do you get supplies there? Does Amazon go to these places just like everywhere else? Or how does that work? 
So that is a good question. Um, both Vieques and and Alaska um, have to have PO boxes, and so you can ship from Amazon to for most things, but you do have to be able to ship to a PO box. So it really limits uh, some of the larger things. And I probably have some really good, you know, funny stories about actually trying to get items to these to these places. For example, getting a fridge onto Vieques is quite frankly the hardest thing that I've ever done, um, oh. except for getting a bathtub to Alaska. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's giving birth and then there's fridge in Vieques, bathtub in Alaska. Um, the, the fridge actually took, you know, three or four different trips to Home Depot. It took multiple calls to Home Depot in Vieques, uh, or not Vieques, but in Puerto Rico, when you call Home Depot, it is very variable as to whether you get anyone who can speak English or, um, you know, that you can kind of struggle through. Um, I think that uh, one of the bigger issues too is that the fridges don't last very long because of the salt water and things like that. So it's it's really tough, you know, and, and beyond that, I think that when you're talking to people who stay there, you know, you have to set expectations a little bit that, hey, you're, you're not coming to a place that is, um, you know, everything is out of Pottery Barn because frankly, that's not possible. And so to some extent, um, I think that the people who come to Vieques, Puerto Rico are not the ones who are staying at the Ritz-Carlton. They're the ones who are really coming for the nature and the fun and the, the amazing outdoorsness. And, you know, they're super happy to sit on our porch in the hammock and drink their rum drinks and watch the birds. And like, they're not concerned with the fact that um, I have tried four times to get a new mattress for our downstairs. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just very unassuming that way. Gotcha. So again, cleaners, but this time in Vieques. So um, I would imagine it's probably not that difficult to find them because it is a vacation place, uh, but correct me if I'm wrong. So it's not hard to find cleaners. It's very hard to find ones that show up when you need them to. It's very hard to find ones that care about property. It's very hard to find ones that, you know, that don't go off island willy-nilly. So okay. we have absolutely really lucked into the best people on the planet. Awesome. So now I want to focus on the actual, uh, on the actual off-grid thing. I know you recently sold that one, but what kind of things do you have to do to make sure that people have running water, that they have electricity or do they have electricity? Uh, what does that look like? So that was an off-grid cabin, right? Not like an RV. Correct. Yeah. That was a 250 square foot off-grid cabin. And we had water delivery. Um, we had a, a plan for, you know, a very large deck with an off-grid um, outdoor kitchen and a cowboy hot tub that would be filled with, you know, our, our water delivery and it would be just emptied. And the things that you have to think about are you have to really think about, hey, is there a septic system installed or how do you do that? And is it installed correctly? Which we're fighting with. Um, we're fighting with our installer in Alaska because of that, in fact, um, that situation. And so you, you really have to think in terms of how do you get the water there? And in this case, it's water delivery. In Vieques, it's water delivery as well. We have 
um, an on-grid solution. So there is running water in Viacus, but there's a secondary backup cistern that sits on our hill and supplies water to all of the necessaries just in case something goes out in terms of the water supply because the water supply does come from mainland Puerto Rico. And then we have um, electric that is on grid in Vieques, but we also have backup solar system that'll be hooked back up um, very soon, thankfully, um, just in case the power goes out so that it can really, you know, make sure that our Wi-Fi stays up, make sure that our ring camera stays up, make sure that our, um, you know, Wi-Fi locks and that our Wi-Fi connected um, uh, air conditioner is still hooked up, things like that. Sounds like a lot to coordinate. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess my, my last main question is, so there's, you've proven that, okay, this is totally doable. You just have to figure out the different ways, you know, you just have to overcome a few obstacles and then it's totally doable, which is really encouraging for somebody like myself who would love to own something in Vieques or honestly, I've been anybody who's been listening to the most recent few short-term show episodes, like I'd really like to have uh, a ranch in Wyoming. But what I'm finding is that a lot of them are off grid, like the ones that are kind of have the scenery that I want are not, you know, right in the city. So off grid would be something that we'd have to look at. So, or figuring out how to do something off grid. Cause I can't just have something sitting there not making me money. I needed it to at least put a dent in its, in its own mortgage. Uh, cause that would just be for fun, not as an investment, but anyway, what I'm getting at is, so you're able to do all this stuff, but it's a lot of extra things. It's not like just, you know, go buy and going and buying a house in Gulf Shores and calling it a day, renting it. And that's it. So my main question is with all this extra coordination, like how, how much are you making? What's your return on investment? Is the juice really worth the squeeze on all this stuff? I think the biggest thing is that we were looking to get the 1% rule from you know, from our, our properties and Vieques returns about 2%. So we're doing fine that way. Um, <clears throat> it, it certainly pays for itself and it certainly pays for its services. And it certainly is incredible to own outside of that as well. You know, it's, it's definitely one of those things where I really wanted to, I knew that I had limited purchasing power because of how much I had to spend. And because of the fact that I didn't really want to mortgage myself to the hill. And so when I chose places, as much as anything, I chose places that A, had a really low risk value. You know, if my house in Vieques flows over tomorrow, I can still make its, its rent payments, its mortgage payments super easy. And, and frankly, it's already paid for itself in so many ways. And so it's, it's definitely one of those situations where it's, it's fine and dandy. And when we had the, the um, tornado, or not the tornado, but the, um, the the two hurricanes facing Vieques and Alaska at the same time, you know, I was, I was sleeping well at night, regardless of what happens because of the fact that we were, we were pretty right side up just on the property alone, even if the houses both blew down. And so with that, you know, I, I really look for interesting places, places that I want to go. And if I'm only going to be able to leverage myself for so many different places, you know, I'm going to make sure that there are places that, really ignite my soul. I don't want to do a ton of marketing. I want it to be very organic and easy. And, and frankly, you know, like I, I well up with tears when I'm talking about the places that we have our, our houses. So it's very, very easy to, to want to be there and to want to um, own there. 
Sounds like it's worth it to me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, awesome. So we're to the last three questions of the show. We ask these same questions to every single guest. And the first question is, what advice would you give 20-year-old Kelly? Don't wait until you have enough. Uh, I think that I, I had a bit of paralysis by analysis. I had um, this thought process to just stack cash and have a retirement. And and I was always thinking to myself, you know, at some point I'll start, I'll start doing real estate. I'll start, you know, buying places that I can leverage this way. And I just kept waiting until I had enough, waiting until I had enough. And then it just happened that all three of these happened kind of at the same time. I mean, to the point where I didn't even have an opportunity to go look at them prior to purchase. Um, and so it, it's definitely a situation where, you know, I wish I'd started 10 years ago. Like I really did. And then, uh, and if I had, you know, I'd be that much further along. Great advice. And similar along the same lines, uh, what advice would you give a new investor who's looking to get started today? Don't, don't, maybe not don't think outside the box. So there's so many different ways of doing things that can help you get there quicker. You know, I, I talked to so many people who are like, well, yeah, but I can't get a second mortgage or yeah, I can't get um, any additional financing, but you'd be amazed at how many different places, especially these ones that are kind of off grid and out of the way, how many of them are open to something like an owner financing deal or, you know, are open to potentially allowing you to, you know, to work with them and rent it out while they're trying to sell it. There's just, there's a lot of different opportunities to get into the space. And I just, I wouldn't want someone to miss out on that just because they're not thinking about other ways of doing it. That's great advice because I didn't think about the fact that what well, might be a little bit harder to find a buyer for a property like this. So they might be willing to work with you on things like that and do some creative financing or let you arbitrage it or something like that. So that's really good advice. That's, that's great. Um, okay. Last question. Yes. What is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Uh, there's a book called everything is figure outable by Maria Forlay. And I'm absolutely certain that I've sold half of her books by just talking about it. I'm so excited about this book. Um, and I'm kidding, of course, she's very famous, but it's uh, it's a complete shift from, hey, like, can I do this to, hey, how do I do this? Um, and I think that honestly, it's one of those things that you have to revisit occasionally because every once in a while you just get in your head and you need someone to say, get out of your head and get it done. Yeah. So I'm not surprised at all to hear that that is your book recommendation because you've spent the last 35 minutes teaching us all how to figure out things that seem difficult. So uh, awesome that I'll definitely check that out. I haven't read it. I'm aware of it, but I will check it out because you did a really good job of illustrating to the listeners that like, Hey, you can own in these seemingly really hard to own places. You just have to figure it out. So that's great advice too. Well, and when you're ready to go to Vieques, you let me know, Avery. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be a while. I got to drag two toddlers and uh, flights and all that. But uh, when the time comes, I will definitely hit you up. <laughs> all right, Kelly. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. And uh, if our listeners want to see your places, follow you, learn more about you, how can they do that? 
Probably the best bet is uh, either Facebook or Instagram, Cronus Castles. Our website is www.cronuscastles.com. Uh, I do try and update that pretty often. I'm starting a blog. We'll see how that goes. Uh, so lots of good stuff on there. And I would love for anyone who has questions to message me. You know, I constantly, um, I'm constantly looking to connect with people. So anything that I can do to help you get started, you let me know. Or if you just want to connect because it's fun, that's cool too. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Kelly. We'll catch you later. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too.